What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Game Informer Show, a weekly podcast covering the video game industry. Join us every Thursday for a discussion of the latest gaming news, reviews, and exclusive reveals alongside Game Informer staff and special guests from around the industry. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Van Aken, and today I'm joined by Marcus Stewart. How are you, Marcus? I'm feeling great. I'm worried we won't have enough to talk about today, but I'm sure we'll make it work. Yeah, nothing really going on this week in the in, in the world of games, unfortunately. Maybe we can talk about Fortnite again. I'm always down to, to do that. <laughs> you know what? When all else fails, break the Fortnite glass, right? That, maybe, maybe VR. Those are, <laughs> you know... <laughs> <laughs> Two topics people love me talking about. Yeah, I got some mobile games we can talk about too. If we oh, want. perfect. Yeah, I'm down. Um, I've also finally played Chrono Trigger, so we can dive deep oh. into that. Did you finish it or um, just like play a little bit of it? No, I'm kidding. I've no, I've, I've, I've never <laughs> oh, I was getting excited. I was like, yeah, let's, yeah. let's talk about Kyle, Chrono Trigger. See, that's the thing. When people talk about Chrono Trigger for me, that's when I'm like, next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I'm like, Kyle's... I've heard people talk about it like countless times over the years. <laughs> Kyle's opinion of you rose in real time and then immediately reset <laughs> yeah, immediately, to whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> I've played like five hours of that game. It's okay. a cool game. It's good. But not recently. Uh, that voice you're hearing is Kyle Hilliard. How you doing, Kyle? Yeah, good. Just leaving uh slow news day comments on a bunch of stories here uh, yeah yeah it's uh, yeah perfect okay. make sure you send those over to GameSpot and ign yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'd be great uh wesley leblanc how you doing wes i'm doing good i read a book so i can talk about that oh. whoa what book yeah um it's actually a cyberpunk book it's called cyberpunk 2077 what is it called no coincidence i read it a while ago i just wanted to be fun and I don't have any fun stuff to talk about. Wait, so is that, that's not. <laughs> that's like coming out right alongside like Phantom Liberty. It's out. Yeah, it's been out for a minute now. Okay. The, I remember the cover. I've seen. I saw people tweeting their free press copies. Wait, is it like? Is it just a novelization of the game, or does it push? No, it's like a. Like... It's written by the showrunner of Edge Runners, um, and it's like a just a standalone story. Oh. It's actually it's actually oh, pretty good. I probably should have brought it up weeks ago when I actually did finish it instead of using it as a joke <laughs> for today's show. But um cool book. Books are cool. What's it called? Uh Cyberpunk 2077 No Coincidences. Books is it a cool. Japanese author? No, it is a Polish author whose name I can't pronounce because it's too far away to read okay. well. But, the, the but you read it in English, yes. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Just to say it's okay. the Witcher writer. Yeah. 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 Well, I was, <laughs> I was going hard on Duolingo because he says the Edge writers, Edge Runner showrunner is that Rafal Jockey probably. The last name's like Rafal Zach or something. Okay, okay, I think that because like uh, the screen, the the Edge Runners was written by you know Japanese writers. But I guess the showrunner, like you said. Well. Anyway, I, I'm totally pulling us aside for your joke. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I mean, like I said, this is the show today. So. Yeah, day. I just didn't realize it had it had those sort of tie. I guess every if it's cyberpunk, it has a tie to Edge Runners, I guess. But I'm so enamored with Edge Runners in particular. Um, yeah, that's your rule. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I even was I asked the CD Project a couple questions about it when I did that big feature about it and they were just their their response to it was like well I was like are there more references to edge runners in the game and they're like it's all cyberpunk like what do you mean references to edge runners <laughs> what do you mean, like, you stupid idiot edge runners is a reference to cyberpunk like what do you want from me do they do they reference a the San Devastein in this i they well, I yeah 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 i don't think i saw any of that it's referenced in the book i mean i'm wearing i'm wearing david's game. jacket while i'm playing you know as I'm a reference that, night so. city yeah. yeah night city yeah. does night city have a cameo no. <laughs> am i am i bad for canceling my netflix before i finish that show yeah it's like a, a 
very very good show so yes i'm bad with watching tv shows like even if it's good i just it's not what i it's not my go-to for how i spend my free time basically i got it i I take a while to get through shows. You have to understand that I I watch a lot of anime, but also a a large portion of my personality is framed around Akira specifically. So if Mm -hmm. like edge runners is like the closest something has gotten to Akira in in recent years, you know, do you own a motorcycle? Has it gotten to that point? No, no, I that, but I exclusively ride the Kusanagi inside. Yeah, I never drive anything else. (laughs) That's the only motorcycle I drive because it looks like Connie does motorcycle. Okay, Kyle. I did you know Bryce Coe, the the artist behind Sea of Stars, all their key art and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. They did, they our, did covers. our cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just posted on Instagram a few days ago. I I, I saw it and thought of you. They did an Akira Ooh, uh, piece. I'm looking. It yeah, up I don't know if it's available for sale or what, but it's sick. Uh, yeah, I'm currently bidding on some um, Akira animation cells on HeritageAuctions.com. And oh, they've wow. already oh. they've already ballooned to like way beyond what I could ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'll throw in my fifty bucks, and they're like, yeah, how about three thousand? <laughs> yeah, no. I was you. like, gonna. I was like, why are you blowing your spot up? But then you said, I'm it's not already out of range. So, <laughs> now yeah. that the the oil tycoons have entered the chat, who also <laughs> yeah. happen to be big Akira fans, apparently. <laughs> yeah, oil tycoon and anime fan. And I am looking at these. The Akira art is very cool. Thanks for pointing it out to me, Alex. I'm, I'm looking. Yeah, at yeah. You right see now. if. Uh, Maybe you can pull some strings since since he worked on our art. Maybe you can be like, "Hey, buddy, give bucks. me that. Yeah, <laughs> print that I, out. Send it to that? me." <laughs> hey, if, if Rice Co wants to wants to send some posters over, I've got I've got the space. <laughs> yeah. You can be on every GI show if you want, right here on these walls. Um, well, let's get into the show this week. Uh, all jokes aside, it's a packed show. Uh, we're going to be diving into the Microsoft leaks, which highlight uh leaked consoles upcoming games including like franchises that i thought were we weren't going to get any more entries in for a while um final fantasy 7 rebirth marcus went hands-on with it correct i did in addition to spider-man 2 mark marcus has been busy he's been playing all this stuff uh kyle and wes have been playing cyberpunk 2077 phantom liberty um and uh wes here is the person who reviewed that for game informer uh and uh so yeah we got a great show on top of that we're going to round it out the end talking about how unity the uh technology company who creates the unity game engine which is utilized by hundreds of thousands of developers uh across the world uh has betrayed their trust so it's gonna be a, a big week Let's dive in. Uh, you guys want to start with the Microsoft stuff? Yeah. Do this leaked I mean, court document. Yeah. Like, I mean, at the time that we're recording, it is Tuesday, which is the day that all of this broke out earlier this morning. Mm-hmm. So who knows? By the time this airs, <laughs> there might even be more stuff out there <laughs> that, yeah. that comes to light. So, but yeah, this will be the sort of like initial batch uh, of stuff that has rolled out. The, the first wave of the avalanche. Yeah, I'm looking here to see how many pages this document is. Where can I do that? Yeah, I haven't even looked at the actual document, but it's this gigantic PDF, right? It's 271 pages. And we're going to read it all on air. All here, yep. Dramatic reading. Yeah. Uh, there is actually some juicy stuff that I've like clipped out here and there. But like just in general, it's been 
been kind of wild seeing all this stuff it's pretty unprecedented so i guess we should preface by saying this happened as a result of the <clears throat> the the ftc versus microsoft uh sort of like the court trial. battle that's going on over the microsoft acquisition of activision blizzard and yes i mean some maybe west you should say this because I, I i feel like i'm still getting the story straight about how this leaked exactly but at least at the, again at the time that we're recording it sounds like someone on the microsoft side sort of yeah it is a up. clerical error yeah clerical error for sure yeah but Wes, if you want to take it away yeah definitely not intentional and it was not the ftc which i had seen some people floating they might be doing it maliciously <laughs> it's not the case also i i don't know if you saw but their tweet that's been retweeted where they just straight up said like we didn't yeah. we didn't do that like don't put that on us <laughs> yeah i don't even think they have access to the uh the platform that it was leaked to so it was somebody else involved yeah so basically hundreds probably thousands of documents uploaded to you know the court's legal proceeding system where it's presumably safe and redacted and goes through all the stuff it needs to go through within those documents you can have attachments and you can have attachments on attachments and basically in a very inception-esque way there was a document with an attachment and in that attachment was a pdf that was unredacted and it turned out to be this 200 plus page pdf of basically everything of all these emails and timelines and console plans just more stuff than I ever would imagined was necessary for their court case to acquire Activision Blizzard. That's what's like continues to blow my mind is that all of this had to make an appearance in court or at least be within the, the legal system. Um, and I mean, the the TLDR is that somebody didn't redact properly and uploaded an unredacted document. And now Microsoft's 10 years of plans have been blasted all over the internet. Still haven't figured out who uh, initially found this. I, it, it clearly had to be somebody who is like paying attention to every little update that happens within those systems because it is public uh, record, even if it's redacted. But yeah, somebody hit a gold mine of 200 pages of highly sensitive, confidential Microsoft information. And we've, I don't I think it's fair to say we've not seen anything even like close to this in terms of video game leaks. I was wondering that if like, is this the biggest leak? Because I, I thought about the Nintendo leak from, or not the Nintendo, but the NVIDIA leak from a couple of years ago. That was also pretty massive. The Walmart leak was most... kind of big, but yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, yeah. this is a separate game, but like the GTA 6 thing from last year of like the build of the game getting out there. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, of, I think of that stuff a lot, like GTA 6 and like Half-Life 2, you know, those were huge leaks. But they were like singular games that were sort of getting ready to come out where this is like, this must have been sent like even beyond the Xbox division. This was probably for like Microsoft higher ups to kind of get a lay of the land, right? To like a better understanding of what's coming. I mean, these are these are emails from the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, talking to chief creative officers in Microsoft about acquiring some of the biggest names in games like this is. I, I yeah it's exactly what you don't want to get out to the public <laughs> and it did just got an email being like i don't know guys in and out for lunch today what do you think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah there were um there were talks of they evaluated um a big one that has been like brought out since last night when all this stuff w went 
uh, went viral uh, was like, yeah, like Wes said, the acquisition of Nintendo and how effectively Phil Spencer is of the opinion that they're going to play the long game and they're going to try to wear down Nintendo eventually. And hopefully Nintendo sees the light and realizes that, you know, they could bring their software to Xbox and it would be mass. Yeah. That's like the gist of what Spencer's argument was. Yeah, or not even wear email. down. Because like, it doesn't sound like they were going to do anything to kind of like force Nintendo's hand. No, no. Like, I, I just wait like, around until... Yeah, like I think... <laughs> but what I mean by wear down is like, we're just going to be like good partners to them and continue to maybe like chime on that 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 yeah. beat just That's make bit, sure but... nintendo knows it's always on the table right just a little yeah. reminder of like by the way you know if you guys are interested and we could this talk is about like this. they're taking the same strategy as like middle school me who was too <laughs> shy to directly ask girls out to like be <laughs> dates so you're like well if i just be their friend and be super nice for like a really long period of time sooner or later they'll just be like hey this is a cool guy and well it'll just happen right <laughs> and that always works marcus that yeah uh well nintendo <laughs> <laughs> much like uh my my the girls that i fancied at the time uh it's not gonna work <laughs> <laughs> it's something that's remarkable about me with that email is like i don't know how you guys talk in email but i'm like very i say just exactly what needs to be said i don't really like emailing so it's like quick and cordial but phil spencer in this email said Acquiring Nintendo would be a career moment, a good move for both companies, and that it is taking Nintendo, quote, a, a long time, quote, to see that their future exists off of their own hardware, end quote. Like, that is a lot of confidence to have. Very presumptuous. And I, yeah, I, mind you, Nintendo, their console doing better than their competitors right now. Like, the Switch is doing crazy numbers compared to Xbox. But Phil Spencer's like, I just think Nintendo needs to see the light. Like, they should not be in hardware. They should be. It's, when, it's just, when was this uh, yeah, email I, dated? I 2020. Say, email is a few years old. So I was going to say, if this was like Wii U era, then maybe. 2020 sure. Nintendo was also massive. That yeah. was Animal Crossing. Was this after March? Yeah, this is August. So I guess the Xbox like the, wasn't out yet. Maybe, they, maybe Phil was like, this Series X is about to just clobber everybody. Which I mean, the Series X is done, even then, done well, but not Switch numbers. I mean, that, I'm gonna say like that would be foolish because like the Switch was already like three years old at that point, it was already a proven like massive success by yeah. even by 2020, even before Animal Crossing. So it, that would be a that'd be quite the leap to make. Like, ah, they'll see the light, even though they're doing completely it went fine. So well with Apple, just Nintendo is just killing it on the iPhones, you know yeah <laughs> it's just like a yeah, rare yeah. look at candor we don't see from these executives which i guess is what is expected yeah. when yeah. you look at their private previously private emails yeah i'm uh this is not really i thought this was interesting this is um on page uh 100 of the document uh there's an email from an employee who's an engineer uh jean emile uh i jean emile uh Eileen. Uh, they are a. I, I, I looked them up. They're they're a senior level architect, kind of focused on like future tech for Microsoft. They're not necessarily a CFO or a CGO, but they're you know a higher engineer um, that has access to to Spencer. And um, they kind of were going back and forth uh, on March seventeenth, twenty twenty one, and effectively Jean Emile starts an email off 
to Spencer saying, offhand question based on the Google and Amazon news relative to their attempts at building game studios. Does Game Pass change how you think about the value of a studio? In 2014, before Game Pass, the life of a studio felt like it was determined by its ability to sustain itself and content produced. Farther away from the business than I am now, but each given studio pitched their own revenue. That's how it's looked. Given this transition, how do you now think about the value of any given studio relative to the portfolio? With it representing three quarters of your staff, I assume it's something top of mind. Not critical, no relation to any current organization drama, just catching up on the developments and other cloud companies coming to grips with the reality of gaming. And that, and so that's effectively the first the first email. He, he continues on, but for our purposes, I want to move on to the responses that follow. Uh, Phil's initial email back says, totally think differently today. We need to drive engagement. That is the oxygen for our service and business growth. Engagement comes through content. Uh, and as we drive engagement, the content becomes more valuable. We are actually the better owner for any game IP than any other publisher on the planet right now, as we can drive engagement through retail and subscription, which leads to higher revenue. I want to keep that lead and actually extend it so our investment in studios, as you've seen, has increased. I want to make it clear to Google, Amazon, etc., that you are not, in all caps, uh, going to catch us in gaming. And one of the reasons cited internally at Google for them diversifying to the first party was our Zenimax acquisition. I just want to put us out of reach, Phil. Uh, anyways, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because they kind of have a back and forth. I was going to say, like, I don't think they were ever in danger of either of those companies catching up to yeah. them in gaming. <laughs> but there's a pointed email that that hits here in a minute that I, and there's some interesting things that are like uh, that are said by Phil. Uh, so Jean Emile, this is now their second email to Phil and then reply to the, to Phil's response says the moat is clear. I've heard as much from Google friends about the chill the Zenimax acquisition had on their plans. So how should studios now measure their worth to the portfolio? I know you dislike the Netflix analogy, but I'm trying to understand the equivalent of quote, ending a show in quotes in their model. We ended further investment in bleeding edge. For example, is that how I will see changes going forward? Still waiting for the episodic content in parentheses rest in peace telltale to show up in Game Pass. That will be awesome. We're we're about to get to some some heat here. This is like a real voyeurism like quality. I know. Uh, Phil responds. The truth is to your answer of how to measure worth is we don't know. It's some combination of attract and retain to our service. Different games perform differently. Some are very high on play and therefore a higher impact on retention. Others are good top of funnel for attract, but don't get much play. You need both. I'd be lying to you if I, if I told you we had an Excel sheet of the value of a game completely figured out. We are working with Microsoft chief economists on the value of content and they have a model that we have working, but it's not complete in parentheses and likely never will be. At some point, what you are asking is, quote, why do people like X, end quotes? And that's a hard question to answer. It's going to be a very organic process for us, for sure. All right, bear with me, listener. We're almost there. Uh, okay, here, here's where things, here's where I was like, oh, the T. Um, so Jean-Emile, this, this engineer, replies, and keep in mind, like, this is all very civil, just like, I'm when I say I'm not trying to cause, I'm not stirring up things when i say t i just mean like this is what i found like fascinating in the back and forths jean emile says that's completely fair 
I'd be really saddened if the reduction of an inherently creative endeavor to a single cell going red was the determinant. Uh, how about looking back on the studio closures of, of the past? Would a product like Game Pass have changed your mind on any particular studio's closure? As to how people like a particular game, that isn't my interest because I like genres that aren't, quote, the hotness, and I'm excited by Game Pass's potential to allow those kinds of games to have a home. Ultimately, this for me is looking to understand the major investments of our org and determining how to best support it. Uh, for what it's worth, I don't expect concrete answers, and I see a lot, uh, a lot being emphasized in the email, of opinions across the org. Just trading my ML on what I should see as the art versus the science of gaming. Okay, and this is where Phil sends back a pointed email and says, I feel like the highlighted question is a preview of an opinion you have. Do you think Game Pass would have saved a studio we once owned? Phil. That's the email where I'm like shaking. Oh, why did my boss just send me? Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two, more, two more emails and then we're done with this chronicle. Uh, Jean-Emile replies, my turn to say, honestly, I don't know. I don't really know what goes into closing a studio. How much funding versus personnel versus output feeds into the, into the decision. In my mind, if a studio completely needs to prove their worth by being net value over their costs, it adds a ton of pressure to release hits on a regular basis. If a game is niche though, too bad, question mark. This is not armchair quarterbacking, I swear. I'm just super worried about the moat you've built and that the winds will change and we will have a bloodbath a few years down the road especially given our peer companies underestimating the game creation process and quote, but by the grace of God, we glow in quotes. This, this person very poetic, not my job. I appreciate. So trying to train my mental model on how to think about the content side of the house to not be worried, especially where the economics have changed with game pass. All right. And this is the last email uh, that Phil says, Phil replies. Uh, I don't think we've ever closed a studio due to the studio's profit and loss. It's almost always been either from leadership leaving, Lionhead as an example, or a team just losing its passion, Ensemble as an example. Ensemble notably worked on Halo Wars, tons of Age of Empires games, um, and then that was the email back from Phil. Uh, and effectively, like the last email from John Miller, just saying uh, the, the, end, the end paragraph is kind of what's important to us. It says, uh, quote, this is also the second time you've called me on a, quote, question that sounds like an opinion, in quotes, which leads me to believe this happens to you a lot. I promise if I have an opinion that is worth sending an email, I will. Uh, I appreciate this forum too much to be disingenuous. But, like, I just thought it was fascinating, like, internally, like, these, like, this elite architect, uh, you know, questioning, I mean, the bloodbath about Game Pass. Like, they are very aware that like if, if things go awry uh with their their content plans then yeah i, I just thought it was fascinating like this is what this is dated t march 2021 and yeah just kind of uh employee uh you know not everybody buying into the vision it seemed like it's so interesting to see i've never worked like in super corporate america you know whatever type jobs so like hearing emails written out this way and just having these full on discussions seems so foreign to me. And I don't know, this person must be really high up because yeah, to like talk to Phil Spencer about Game Pass, which is effectively his baby and refer to like potential bloodbaths and your moat and all these things. It's just, I don't know, it's bewildering to me. I, it's, I mean, props it's to him sure for, for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like that there are people who are, 
questioning everything. Like you yeah. want that in an organization, but who's to say that's happening enough? There's a lot of stuff. I think we're going to continue to find like here are interesting stories that are coming out of, of this, these documents. And obviously there's been a ton of news as well. I think I've kind of buried the lead a bit. Um, Wes, do you want to catch us up on kind of like the top level um, games that have that have leaked? Uh, yeah. Uh, consoles in production. I saw a document uh, for their 2028 vision that had like handhelds listed. Yeah. Um, so we'll go with the yeah. easy ones first, which would be games. Um, so it's not specifically just Xbox games. It was a Zenimax uh, management forecast document. So this is basically just Bethesda games. And it's already out of date when you look at it because some games have released outside of when they had it scheduled. But basically, it's a title a title release schedule. Um, notably on there, we see things like um, Indiana Jones game, which they had planned for fiscal year 2022. And Zenimax operates on a January through December fiscal year. So 2022 for them ends in December 2022. And obviously, we didn't get that game Okay, to show you how out of yeah. date this is. This is the, the Machine Games Indiana Jones game. Yeah. The, yes. The yeah. Devs. yeah. They probably they wanted to get out with Dial of Destiny, but I'm guessing at one point they were just like, well, it's not going to happen. So yeah. Was this email, was all this pre-COVID? Do we know? This does not have a date on it, but it's covering fiscal year 20 through 24 um okay so i'm guessing it came out in 2020 uh because they were still like projecting yeah. outward to 2020 um but we also yeah. see oblivion remaster which was rumored and now to see it on a Zenimax doc doesn't mean it's real doesn't mean it's happening this could just be like a blue sky thing that they've written down but someone at Zenimax and bethesda has discussed it um starfield dlc doom zero year and dlc new doom game maybe the Elder Scrolls Six, which they are projecting for fiscal year 24 on this document, which we already know is not happening because another document, which Marcus wrote up yesterday, says that game is not coming out until at least 2026, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we see no, Fallout. There's another, um, <laughs> sorry, oh, the ahead. only thing might be contradicting. There's like a, a testimony that Phil Spencer gave at a court thing that he, he said that the game was at least five years out which would put it past 2026. So yeah, I don't know which one is accurate there, but it sounds like, I mean, it would still be 2026. At the Whichever earliest. is the later yeah. date. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> And then it had like two years to it. Yeah, um, exactly. Fallout 3 remaster, Ghostwire Tokyo sequel, which we know Blake Hester will be excited about. And uh, I think probably most exciting for myself and Alex, uh, Dishonored 3 is on the docket yeah, for fiscal yes, year 24, which obviously- Again, this could not be happening, but the fact that at one point someone at Zenimax thought, yeah, we should write down Dishonored 3 on this on this graph makes me very happy. <laughs> yes. Uh, as somebody who has thought I would probably never get a Dishonored game again. Yeah, yeah it was but... after Redfall's reviews and someone turned and said, Dishonored yeah. 3, maybe, guys? Should we yeah. get on that? We should check in on that game. What's that game doing? It's got any Redfall? updates. Redfall? Yeah. Oh god. Honestly, I until I said it, it's had a few updates. Yeah. Forgot about the game. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, as I pointed out in my review, like I think a lot of a lot of that game, like updates can help, but it, it was just fundamentally flawed as like a in terms of like game design. It just a lot of it didn't work well together. 
yeah, so that's those are those are Zenimax or Bethesda games. Uh, and then elsewhere in these documents, we have um, detailed documents that kind of outline plans for an Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S refresh happening next year alongside a new controller. If you go to GameInformer.com, we have pictures from the documents. The Xbox Series X refresh is uh, has like a, a code name of Brooklyn spelled not the way that it is in New York. Um, it looks like a black cylindrical Wi-Fi router. Um, most notably, yeah. no disk drive, but two terabytes of storage. And it will be the same price as a Series X, so $500. Hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not like, I'm, I'm, I know a good bit about technology as it relates to consoles, but I know there's other sites like The Verge who are diving way deeper into that. Based on these specs, it's not like a pro like we saw with the Xbox One X last year or or uh, last gen or the PS4 Pro, but it will have like better Wi-Fi, better Bluetooth, um, a different processor that allows it to be a little more efficient, stuff like that. Um, I don't think so this it's, is not. Yeah, this is not a pro. Is what no, you're saying, right? This is just yeah. let's redesign it. Yeah, to have and a I guess you, I guess you also lose the ability to lay it on its side. You could still technically. <laughs> <laughs> and then sell us a stand so you can put it sideways probably just like a little you know (laughs) scoop that holds it in place the uh xbox series s refresh is called elwood a lot less happening here in terms of refresh um looks identical i'm looking at my xbox series s in front of me and this image looks identical like yeah it, Not even like the ports are even the same on the front. Comes with and a Elle terabyte Wood, of storage. T- just just because oh. I know everyone's thinking it. Yes, Elwood is the protagonist character from Legally Blonde and the sequel. I don't know why they're <laughs> nicknaming uh, it after her, but I just want to clear that up, you know, so we can move no, on from that. Legally Blonde game confirmed. <laughs> Finally. Zenimax right style? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it comes with a terabyte, which they just released this month, a black Series S that comes with a terabyte. But this one will have the better Wi-Fi, better Bluetooth, more efficient use of power. It will also be 300 which is what a Series S costs today. Um, and then the last bit of this refresh is Sebile or Sebile, which is a new Xbox controller. Uh, looks very similar. Sebel, I believe. Is. Oh, Sebel. Looks yeah. very similar to what we have now with xbox most notably it has um haptic feedback which has been a uh, feature that's on playstation's DualSense controller it has another set of special haptics vca haptics not sure what the vca is but they double as speakers um and it has an accelerometer mm-hmm. uh which could indicate gyro function but gyro and accelerometer are technically two pieces of a puzzle that create one feature which is like being able to move your controller all around. So I hesitate to say that this will be like a gyro controller, but it it has a feature that might indicate it will be. And quieter buttons and thumbsticks. Um, and just like, I guess, a better... Notably, build. it's also two-toned. Yeah. Like the PS5 controller. the bo- Somewhere to the Xbox, it's... But it kind of just cuts yeah. across. Kind of like if like... you dipped it in chocolate. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, is this oh, a maybe a dumb that. question? Is the PlayStation Five that that has gyro controls, right? Doesn't it? I think. So. Yeah, because you can I type like. Did Astro's the keypad to... use some of it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay, I was yeah, just trying to remember. Yeah. yeah, I was like Astro's Playroom. Surely I was. I never use. I never use point. it. Yeah, so I don't think a lot of games use it. No, so. yeah. yeah, I know Fortnite uses it, and I spoke to a 
uh, person who did Fortnite mods. He actually works for Epic now on Fortnite, um, who helped bring over gyro controls on the Switch version. I don't remember what the story is called. If you look up Game Informer gyro Fortnite, you might find it. But he basically told me that like, if you're using a controller, if you get good with gyro and aiming with thumbsticks, you can be as good as like a PC player. Like that's how. Oh yeah, I good. Yeah, a well-made gyro function this- can be. Like the, the pro like Splatoon players are really big on the gyro controls. Like that's that's where I've heard that sentiment the most is that the real players use the switch motion controls or whatever. I mean both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, I total I use I totally use the motion controls and like think yeah. I'm have better accuracy as a result. So oh, I, really? I believe it, but you just gotta you gotta commit to it and practice, mm-hmm. you know. See, I'm a poser. Whenever I play Mario Kart, I say I'm using tilt controls, but I never actually am. <laughs> I was I'm lying. I don't think that I was saying, I think that's just being a liar. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's fun. I just like the little I'm gonna start doing that when I lie. I'm not lying. I'm the just head posing. Games. Yeah. I'm just posing, mom. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm just getting in their head, man. I'm not lying. Um but yeah, um, those are the console yeah. refreshes. Anything you guys want to touch on there before we jump to 2028? I mean, I was gonna mention like of at least for the games, is there anything that you guys are excited about besides Dishonored 3? I mean the Oblivion remaster, when that was rumored, I was like, okay, because that was my entry in Elder Scrolls, and I adore that game. But I saw an interesting tweet that I hadn't thought about, and I wish I could attribute it to whoever it was. I don't remember the name. But they said that the the downer of an Oblivion remaster is that one of the charms of Oblivion is how janky it is and like how weird. Like One of my favorite things to do is to look up just weird emergent moments in that game of just like scripting going not even going wrong but just occurring in a comical way of like nbc's talking to you too and being like give me your money and then you give them money and then they're like hey you should watch out there's bandits here and it's like but you you're a bandit (laughs) (laughs) and just like (laughs) stepping on traps and getting crushed by things and it's just like there's like an unintentional comedic timing that that game has that has only become more pronounced as as it has aged and a remaster would surely sand a lot of those rough edges away to where it's like it'll probably be like it'll be the best playing version of the game would it but would it lose a lot of that charm in the process yeah. <laughs> and, I, and think, that, I think so that kind of made me think about that the prospect of rematcher in a different way of like oh man yeah i guess i don't know if it'll be like as fun you know even if it's <laughs> yeah, like make a it better bad. version <laughs> yeah it's also just a gorgeous game i played it in 2021 i, I went and like bought a physical copy at my local shop and I decided I just wanted to play Oblivion. And I was actually hunting the unicorn, uh, hunting for the unicorn in that game um, for a video that ended up not panning out. But I just got sucked back into Oblivion. And that game, I was blown away by how good it still looks. Like art direction really carries it. And the post processing they're using, like it's a really great use of fog and, you know, um, you know, line of sight and, and draw distance and stuff. It it really they really nailed it in Oblivion. I think even more so than maybe Skyrim, and just like for what it was at the time, yeah, uh, and like how it holds up now. Oblivion to me is it still has that charm. Whereas when I fire Skyrim up, I'm like, oh, I, I want to be playing the latest version of this, you know? Yeah. Um, Plus, if you want a cleaned up Oblivion, I mean, there's plenty of mods that exist. Tour. Are they doing Sky Oblivion as well? And that What's too, yeah, yeah. Which that hasn't finished yet, right? No, so it's this no. like I mean, again, assuming this actually happens, but like 
does that step on those toes a bit assuming that whatever they do is comparable to the work that sky oblivion has going into it yeah i mean but... sky oblivion also has the hurdle of being a massive mod that uh, a lot of people a lot of general people players are number one probably scared to break something i know before i was familiar with pc gaming like the thought of modding something terrifying because i'm like what if i mess up my save or i mess up my console or something like that and uh and, and then they, they kind of dissuade you also with like disabling achievements and stuff even though a lot there are a lot of mods now in games that will re-enable the achievements <laughs> if you have mods turned on uh it gets very meta but yeah i feel like them releasing like an official version of that they i think they could coexist you know yeah, um, I, for sure that's definitely yeah. like that game and dishonored 3 are definitely the two that stood out of like oh okay like again the oblivion was like, okay there's some truth to that rumor it looks like uh yeah that doom game i kind of i would like to see i like those two doom games especially the first one the, the new ones i mean uh so i wasn't expecting that either so that's cool and like fallout 3 didn't expect that either love that game uh i don't know if it has quite the same charm as oblivion in the same way but i mean that's still my favorite fallout game probably like new vegas being a very close second <laughs> so hey also wasn't there a rumor that new vegas was gonna get a remake remaster at some point too but undoubtedly right i'm sure yeah i thought that was like relatively recent but i don't know what about you guys anything besides dishonor jump out at you like oh i want that no I, i'm a little drama goblin and so like all the stuff i was looking at in the document was like i'm i'm just the thing i'm like what are they saying drama goblin yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah I, it's all it's all fun too but like all of this stuff i'm always like grain of salt right it's oh, like oh, these yeah. things could all change nothing oh, yeah. nothing's yeah. confirmed it's like i i don't i'm not i don't look at this and get excited like dishonored 3 is coming i i look yeah, at it and i'm like yeah. oh I'm glad Dishonored 3 has been brought up internally at Microsoft. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, before we do transition to 2028, I have one email. It's a singular email. It's short. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole again. But it's an interesting look at, but, at, at Microsoft, specifically Phil Spencer's perspective, as of May 2022. And he, he looked at the business and um, was offering a lot of critical feedback and and I think it's important to note before we transition to 2028. Uh, so in an email from Phil Spencer, May 7th, 2022, to Matt Booty, Jamie Letter, Sarah Bond, uh, Jarrett West, Tim Stewart, uh, subject is games, importance high. Quote, with the news that Starfield is going to miss holiday and not, quote, not broadly, uh, or uh, parentheses, sorry, not broadly communicated yet. Let's let Jamie manage that. Still not a ton of clarity of the launch, and still not a ton of clarity on the launch date of Redfall and Stalker 2 development being so impacted by the war in Ukraine. I feel we are in a huge hole with our games lineup, both for platform marketing differentiation and our Game Pass content. We keep talking a, b a bit, we keep talking about, there's typos, triple uh, A a quarter in the service, and it feels like we are likely to go through a gap of almost 16 months between big exclusive launches on our platform, Halo Infinite being our last one on December 8th, 2021. This is really a disaster situation for us, given we all we've invested in content across studios at our Game Pass content fund. We need to learn from this and build a plan forward. 
in terms of learning, I think we need to get much better at overall portfolio planning on our games with real honesty on dates. Doing this from memory from summer 2021 through December 21, we had an amazing lineup of games with Flight Sim, Flight Sim to Console, Psychonauts 2, Age 4, Forza Horizon 5, and Halo. There were good third-party games in that time frame as well, like Back for Blood. We set a very high bar in 2021 on quality and pacing of content, which was awesome to see. But to come off of that year with no big exclusive launching in 2022 is a portfolio planning miss that we can't afford. If we need to delay launches, parentheses, understanding there is a financial impact of that, to create more regular beats for us, we need to do that. We have we have to all understand that the situation we are in now is a failure of our planning and production execution. Now, let's roll up the sleeves and get planning on the next two years of games. First, we need to build an accurate list of new game launches that are coming in the next 24 months with expected dates. For now, I don't want to litter this list with content updates or seasons for existing games. We need launches. Let's build this across first party, second party, and third party looking at Game Pass launches. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> last year was famously not great for them. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I Even now, I remember like, what did they put out last year that was like first party? like i've already i don't even remember anymore i remember it wasn't much because <clears throat> stuff got delayed like starfield uh and redfall it's also interesting that they don't even mention um like ninja theories uh game senua hellblade 2 and that like looking ahead we've got there he was saying we've got stalker 2 and um and redfall and i'm like oh okay like not even mentioning so that tells me like that game is even I mean, at the Further. time that that was written. At the time yeah. in May, twenty twenty two. He might also. They might also treat that as a different tier, a different type of tier. Of they game might too. too. Like well, those yeah. are a lot of like shooter action games that appeal to a wide audience. Like Hellblade's kind of that like indie film from a major studio that they're hoping gets that Oscar, <laughs> you know, yeah. but isn't really gonna like. Uh, I feel like give they, it the like, Marvel budget up... for marketing, you know. Yeah, I feel like they hyped it up so much though in that first big yeah. presentation with the console and like the, i feel like when i just anecdotally looking at social media i see xbox fans like very hopeful and like don't forget about this thing yeah <laughs> i mean like, to be clear i i love hellblade uh i love that game. oh yeah but it's like it is a game to the point where i i can't really recommend it's like you're gonna feel bad um you're yeah. gonna be uncomfortable yeah. but you're gonna really be ha like happy is not even the right word but you're going to be like damn that was an experience afterward yeah <laughs> and it's, it's like, like how yeah. do you how do you sort of put that on the docket of like and come into game pass an uncomfortable experience <laughs> players are gonna be real yeah, sad i always tell people like it's not fun fun's not the right word for this fun, one <laughs> but it's yeah. it's definitely worth checking out yeah i can't i can't wait for that game i'm, I'm gonna feel bad for a couple days and and then i'm gonna feel great i feel like afterwards. they should hype up cinema more one because i think that first revealed trailer at game awards is still like one of the best trailers ever made it's so good but also i think it's like their closest analog to what playstation games are are like or are viewed as like oh sure i don't know yeah. I, I see yeah. xbox first party and playstation first party and they're mostly very different to me but i feel like senua i could see that as a playstation first party game you know dark doesn't make you feel good third I mean, person it, action it... and yeah like what you were about to say marcus is it, it was yeah. just playstation at first right 
Yeah. Yeah. Like it used, it did. We used to be yeah. just a PlayStation exclusive. So it, it was part of their sort of like prestige television of games catalog. Yeah. But yeah. So they, they should talk about it more. I'm excited for Senua. Um, but yes, jumping ahead to 2028 when Hellblade 2 is hopefully out by now. Uh, a document came out for a cohesive hybrid compute device. Um, basically their next gen console without naming it or explaining what it looks like or kind of indicating how it will work. But we do know that they're viewing it as a next generation hybrid game platform capable of leveraging the combined power of the client, presumably like the hardware and cloud to deliver deeper immersion in entirely new classes of game experiences. And then there's a bunch of um, key strategic decisions and investments in CPU and GPU and NPU stuff to get there. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing is that they very clearly want to utilize the cloud heavily in their next console. Um, whether that means doing it in a Microsoft Flight Sim way, which is like streaming data in real time to the game through the cloud, uh, or if it's like more some like something more like a handheld where it uses the cloud uh, to play games. I don't know, and we don't know because those documents don't go into that, but. Uh, if you look ahead to 2028, Xbox has a clear vision where the cloud is is a major factor of their brand. I mean, they just had a whole court battle with the UK over it, so still having that, yeah, I guess. yeah. So I guess so. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like that was their whole their whole plan for this one too. So this was like, okay, more of the more of this more of the same plan, I guess. You know, I guess more yeah. robust, more more built out. But like the Series X was largely. And Series S, I feel like, I don't know, for for years now, the their whole thing has been Game Pass and the cloud. And it sounds like that is just going to be their continued plan. I wonder if we'll get more, like, more games that directly use the cloud for, like, their uh, design. Because, like, I feel, I think the only game that still did it or was, like, hyped for it was Crackdown 3. Like, remember the pitch for that game where they were showing it, like, whatever E3 it was during its long development, yeah. and they were like, hey, look at the way these buildings fall. This is only possible because of the cloud, baby. And that was, like, the big selling point. I don't know if that ever actually, no. like, came to fruition in the no, full release or not. that wasn't the game not. at all. Okay. <laughs> like, I was like, I beat the game, and I just, it was so far removed. I was like, I don't even remember if this is still in here or not. No, but, no. Um, but uh, it's like, do you think we get more of that by this point of more studios False being like, yeah. promises? <laughs> exactly yes we'll probably get uh, some more of those yeah like oh the next <laughs> i don't know halo we're gonna use cloud processing for because this is like what the console is now so now we can render a gazillion million grunts through the power of the cloud baby you know i, mean, I don't know show me some practical application i still think it's all you fluff. might as well be it's like we're fluff. throwing sparkles at this one it's like okay like i don't what does that mean? What is the cloud you, computing? Kyle. Like I my save I'm files on the cloud. That's convenient. I take advantage of that yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, but that's like... great. I don't know if there's No, any... I'm absolutely with you. I think I'm like my eyes glaze over when I hear about the cl- the, cl- the cloud in in Praise be know, to the cloud, letters. of course. We yeah, the, don't want to anger the cloud. We all bow down to the cloud. Uh <laughs> a, cloud as Azure Azure. Uh, <laughs> like it's just yeah i don't know yeah it's i mean it's so far off too uh, i'd like, ra- i mean you know you know i'd be excited about here's what i want from the next console all right practically i want to be able to set my controller on the console 
and it charges wirelessly. All right, I want I want that kind of tech. That's you know actually, what else I want? <laughs> on your arm? I want on my arm specifically. Yes, I want a I want a augment. Uh, I'm like gonna a get wrist sand guard. It's like a attachment. Like you get a little wrist thing. Yeah, the Xbox sand <laughs> I'll have Game Pass on the go. Um, Just make a and... dual disc. I actually <laughs> do disc. genuinely love that idea, Mark, uh, Alex. Just like, uh, yeah. yeah, drop. You're done for playing. You just drop your controller on there. It charges overnight. That's right? smart. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, probably maybe the biggest news of this is that Microsoft still plans to make consoles by 2028. Because I feel like every console generation is supposed to be the last one, right? I'm like, okay. After this, it's going to be all digital cloud stuff, or it's going to be VR. It's going to yeah. be brain implants. No one for getting away from plastic boxes, but uh, at least for like going into 2030, it seems like at least Microsoft's still like, nah, we're going to make a, we're going to put a box out there. Yeah, I, I, I never buy that. I think as long as we're getting new smartphones every single year, we're going to be getting a new console every eight years. Like companies like to sell new things, people like buying them. It's, it's it's exciting man like I, yeah. I i don't want that to go away you know yeah maybe it's like it's probably most significant too that it's microsoft because i feel like of the three they were the most likely to get away from boxes because their whole pitch with the last like five six years or so have been like the xbox brand rather than the individual box of like hey all your games work across xbox family who cares if you buy a series x it can run on the s or xbox one we don't we don't care what you buy we just want you in our ecosystem so it just, that just felt like it would lend itself more towards like a more sort of like nebulous platform in the future of like i don't know it's not even uh we just have one xbox or one f- platform it's on your tvs now you don't need to buy a box just buy the xbox tv it's all there you just download them uh so yeah i mean if so like if they're still doing boxes then it's like oh i guess the other two likely are too sony and microsoft have, or sony and nintendo have always been pretty console like like focused i guess you know um so yeah there we go i guess uh breathe a sigh of relief for now uh, obviously things change all the time so who knows but for people that were worried that <laughs> we're gonna get away from that in the near future i apparently not it seems like on that note there's another document that i didn't include in my story but the verge has it um and they kind of dive more into the specs behind it but it's, it's a timeline from fiscal year 23 to 2030. And it basically shows console first and device gamers kind of plateauing. It, it rises from like, I don't know, 35, 35 million to 40 million. And then above that is another notch for PC first gamers, which are people who are depend like prefer gaming on PC. That rises a little bit, but the main rise from 23 to 30 on their document is cloud first gamers which they describe as smart tv string streaming stick apps low-end pcs and limited mobile only use um so it's pretty clear that like from here on out the thing that they're looking to increase the most is cloud cloud gaming in some capacity i think i don't know if this i don't think that means they're dropping console players or pc players i think they're just kind of seeing We've kind of hit our margin there. We've we've tapped out that market. Then the next market is getting, you know, the people who don't play Xbox to hook up a controller to their Samsung TV and play those games. And that seems to be their path forward, which is interesting considering they're also planning a console in 2028. Yeah. And if you live in the UK, those cloud games will be brought to you by Ubisoft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so <Man>. weird <laughs> i know i know What's that? what is the con- uh, full context there i know i kind of I, I 
for the Ubisoft thing? Like you, yeah. Like what? I I vaguely know what you guys are joking about here. They they didn't get the green light for the Activision Blizzard acquisition in the UK, so they've basically gotten rid of their original proposal and they're moving forward with a new one. And act and uh, Microsoft is saying, we let us buy this company, and we will move our Activision Blizzard rights basically to Ubisoft for cloud gaming. So in the UK only, presumably, Ubisoft will handle the rights and the finances and the money of Activision Blizzard games streaming there. Um, okay. Because their concern was Microsoft, the UK's concern was Microsoft is should not be handling the cloud gaming of Activision Blizzard because of Monopoly and all that stuff. So now Ubisoft's going to handle it for some reason. <laughs> I don't, it's, for some reason, yeah, it's, Ubisoft uh, just doing them a solid. Yeah, <laughs> like, I guess we'll help. Like the money's yeah, still gonna get a... to Microsoft. I guess Ubisoft just gets to take a, a little chunk out of it. Like a middle. Like we're not a bizarre. monopoly. See, they're involved. <laughs> Our buddy, and it's just like camera up. pans over to Ubisoft, and they're just like, I'm just. Kidding. It's <laughs> like we just stepped into the room, and then we were like assaulted with this this idea. We, we were just yeah. walking this by responsibility. They were like, yeah. whoever steps, uh, who, whatever publisher steps in the room, we're just going to say, can you do this for us? It just happened to Ubisoft. Um, this is why Prince yeah. of Persia remakes taking so long. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, well, speaking of which, I'm sorry. I know you're trying to move on, but real quick. No, yeah. Um, I want to play a quick game. Uh, 2028, right? This is when this console is allegedly around. It's going to come out. I'm going to name a few games, and I want, you, I want your yay or nay or whether or not they'll be out by the time this new console hits. All right. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2. Hell no. Nope. <laughs> nope. Okay. Half-Life 3. Nope. Mm -mm. Kingdom Hearts 4. Yes. Yes. Alex, you haven't spread. You're just pondering. <laughs> about, He's still thinking about, about Beyond Good and Evil 2. I'm thinking about the first one still and whether or not I can say something. Um, okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. What was, the, what was the last one? Oh, the second one was... Ha yeah, the last yeah, one was Kingdom that's Hearts. That's the one four. I meant yes to. Yeah. Okay, and I said Half Life Three for the second one. No, yeah, I, whatever's in the future for Half Life, which is there is a future, I believe. I, I just don't think I still don't think it's going to be called Three. I don't Would know. you say uh, it'll be Alex Two? A new Half Life maybe. game in general? Like a I think there'll be a new Half Life game. game. Yeah, I just don't think it'll be called Half Life Three. Okay. What about Ast Astral Chain it happens Two? Happens occasionally. Before twenty twenty eight, what do we think? <laughs> Yes, yeah, I'll, I mean, say, I'll say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, cool. That means Did it's we... happening. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, got, and Did I guess it. lastly, uh, Elder Scrolls Six. No. Do we think it's 2026, 2027, or do you think it goes? Mm. Do you think it's like a, a an exclusive for whatever that next console is? I think that's. I'm gonna say like, yes. Do you think it skips this generation, basically? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh. Like it won't be Series X at all. I yes, I think so. I think it'll be. Cross-platform, like okay. Breath of the Wild type of situation, like, like yeah. kind of in yeah. the Microsoft way of like, yeah, it's on everything. It's just Xbox, like that. Kind yeah, of way. yeah. <laughs> but but it'll like run really poorly on like last gen because <laughs> it doesn't have access I mean, to, to sure, cloud. Apparently, Starfield runs well on the S. No, no, I, I, I'm just joking about the last bit. But I I think it would be like a cross. I could see it being like a cross generation, like bridging the gap. Okay. And I guess actually I, one last one I thought of. Do you think Game Pass will still be a thing in 2028? Yeah, it'll be a lot more expensive, but yeah, yeah. Okay, the moat has been cleared. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> gonna be a bloodbath. <laughs> the the war of 2028. Watch out, baby! It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Which house do you align with? <laughs>
Oh boy. Um, the true console wars. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Marcus, you've been playing it. We're an hour into the show. Let's talk about a video <laughs> game we've actually played this week. Yeah, I uh, went to Los Angeles last week uh, for a big uh, preview event of kind of the first hands-on of Rebirth. I got to go to uh, Square Enix's office and play two different demos. Uh, the first was a more linear slice. That was a flashback to the uh, it was the might the Mount Nibel uh, Mount. Mount Nibel, Mount Nibel, however you want to pronounce it, a sequence where I played as Cloud and Sephiroth. And then the second demo was in a slice of the open world that was, like, set just outside the city of Junon. And my big takeaway is, hey, that game's still really fun. I, I really, I'm a Final Fantasy VII fan. I really enjoyed Remake. I love what they did with the combat system of sort of the, the combination of the uh, stylish action with, like, turn-based elements. I think it still works here. It was a little bit of an adjustment because I'm still playing through 16, which is like pure action pretty much. Uh, but it didn't take long to get back into it. And I'd say the big takeaways, and I was just to mention, I, I got to interview the leads behind the game afterwards for a magazine piece coming out. So I got to talk to uh, the creative director, Tetsuya Nomura. I got to talk to uh, Yoshinori Katasi, who's the producer. And then I got to talk to uh, Naoki Hamaguchi, who's the director of a rebirth and have them answer some burning questions I have had about this game. And I think a lot of people have had, uh, which was nice. Uh, so the big new combat twist uh, right away is there's these new attacks called synergy attacks. And they're basically let you combine the uh, two party members to do like a kind of a co-op attack, almost like kind of chrono trigger esque. So with the, you have my attention. I'm, I, I stepped out for a second to go get some more water, not because I'm not excited about Final Fantasy VII, but because I, I needed some. Uh, but Chrono Trigger, please, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, the Mount Nibel section, I got to play as Cloud and Sephiroth, who I could switch between, and their uh, synergy attack was this cool uh, move called, I believe, Dual Blade Dance. And once you build up enough ATB gadge, you can select it, and it's just them doing this really flashy, insane sort of like sword attack it's like really cinematic where like the camera zooms in on them both as they got their swords out and you're like, yeah, we're going to do it. And then they just go to town on an enemy. Uh, there's like multiple combinations depending on what, you know, your party looks like, which encourages you to experiment with different loadouts. Cause you're like, Oh, I want to see what red 13 and Tifa, what are, what are their synergy attacks or, you know, Aerith and, and cloud. I don't know. And also what's nice about this is that now you can save party loadouts and you can switch between them on the fly so instead of going into the menu every time you're like oh i want to put tifa in and do this you can just make like three different loadouts of like okay this is my cloud barrett tifa loadout this is my cloud red 13 Aerith loadout and then in game you just hit one button and then it instantly switches to that party configuration so you can just be like yeah, it's so it's seamless. They just appear on the field. I mean, you see everyone with you at all times. You're just kind of roaming around like you're all just running around. But it, you just see their names appear in like the, you know, the command list. So, you know, like, OK, Barrett, Barrett's in. I remember some element of the first game, the re, the first remake. God, this is always mm -hmm. forever going to be confusing. At the end, that was like really confusing where I was like swapping materia around between, and you kept changing between different groups like you got split up at the end. Do you remember this right. portion? Right, in the like in the Shinra. Yeah, building. I wonder if that kind of thing would help with that, like having loadouts if they're forcing you to sort of like lock into certain people. I, anyway, that that was like 
that was the thing that really soured me at, at the end of that game i was like this is annoying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it made it nice in the open world section because of, because of the synergy attacks. They're like, okay, I'm going to stick with the configuration they gave me, see what their synergy attacks on, and then just hit a button while I'm roaming around. But like, all right, I'm going to see what the other loadout is because they had the, the I couldn't change the loadouts in the demo. They had like three prepared for me. Um, so, but, you know, I was just kind of shifting around like, all right, let's see what these ones do. Uh, but they're really cool. And I, as I said, it's, it's a cool way to encourage you to mess around with different party loadouts. Um, you still got your limit breaks and stuff. Uh, Sephiroth, his limit break, he's got, the, of course, the Octa Slash. And I will say, playing a Sephiroth is appropriately almost, like, broken, <laughs> how powerful yeah. he is. Like, I think in the, in the demo, he's, like, four or five levels ahead of Cloud. But, like, he feels like he's, like, 10 or 15. Because, like, every, like, playing as him felt like a cheat code. And I think that was the intent for that segment. Because, you know, I won't get into spoilers about what happens in the month nibel section but you know this is in the past when sephiroth is still like part of soldier and is like oh he's the legendary war hero he's really good whereas you see cloud is like the inexperienced rookie and then sephiroth sort of mentoring him and sort of like coaching him on how to be a better fighter and all that good stuff and it shows when you play as sephiroth because we're like he's like hey let me show you how it's done and then he gets in there and you just hit a few buttons and he's just like eviscerating everyone (laughs) with his sword and he feels so much fun to play to where I kind of just stuck with him for the most part. Um, his magic attacks are great. Uh, yeah, he's just, he's fun. And I like his uh, his dodge too, because he kind of does this teleporting warp. So you can just like warp into people's faces from like far away and then also sort of like get back if he needs to. But Cloud still pre- plays pretty much identically. Like he's got the two sort of like sword modes, but like the the more offense heavy one and the more kind of like slower, but he does like the heavy attack one. Uh, I forget the names of them. I had access to all of his special attacks or at least the ones that they gave me like Braver and and like triple cut and whatever, all that stuff. So are they not getting rid of, are they not doing the thing where they like depower everybody and then get so, to go back and earn it? <laughs> uh, the short answer is yes, they are. Uh, um i asked them this okay when I, I asked the 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 square devs when i was interviewing them of like hey is there any sort of data transfer between remake and rebirth because you know like even though it's a sequel just because of the nature of it you know they're cutting up what was a singular game it just feels like more natural like i could carry my material over right all my weapons and stuff because i really took a long time to get all that and they said no because they view rebirth as a standalone game even though it obviously is continuing the story they wanted to stand on its own. I mean, there was even that Q&A with the co-director where he said, like, nah, you don't need to play Remake to play Rebirth. We got you, which I still sure. think is kind of an yeah. insane statement. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I don't... Uh, I do, as from just, like, a player level, honestly, I don't mind. Like, I don't really... I would rather kind of get a chance to start over than be like, wait, what? Do, I have all this material. I got all this... I, how does this work? I got to remember all this stuff. I, yeah. I don't really want that, so I'm okay with that, but aren't there story choices that you make in that game that are pretty subtle in terms of like your relationship with Tifa and Aerith? Like wouldn't that stuff carry forward or am I misremembering the first uh, uh, remake? I don't think yeah. you I mean, get the... to make choices necessarily. Okay. Okay. All right. I mean, I, mean I just remember the stuff with, with wall market with them where you kind of choose like, yeah, that's which one you, but I don't know if that has like a bearing beyond that segment. Right. Yeah. I think... yeah. Okay. There's like yeah, there's some things to see different characters and different dresses and who gets captured and stuff. But I think like the meta story of it all 
is definitely Square Enix's hand. Like they're making okay. those choices. I feel like. Did you see any um swirling ghost things in Rebirth? I not swirling ghost things, but I did see people in hoods, ah. like the the kind of hooded people that you saw in the in the Midgar. Like I did see them hanging out in front, like near Junon in the open world part. Uh, didn't really interact with them it's because you know it's kind of out of context they're just kind of hanging out there um but yeah they were there and i will say uh on the, to go back to the data transfer stuff uh namora did tell me that even though data doesn't transfer if you have saved data from remake or integrate you will get a special summon materia at the beginning of the game so you are getting cool. something if you've played it <clears throat> uh he didn't say what the summon would be but you know at least fat chocobo. The... come on fat chocobo I mean, speaking of chocobos in the open world segment, I did a lot of chocobo riding because you can ride chocobos all over the place. You can just call them up and you're not only do you get to ride them, but you get to see your whole party riding them. And I'm just going to say that the image of Red 13 on top of a chocobo (laughs) is maybe the funniest thing I've seen in a video game in a long time. And I I like actively sort of like snorted at it because I did not expect it. And I I was like focusing on it for a while. Like I was like spinning the camera to see like, how is he like sitting up there? How does he sit? Is he sitting like, is he sitting like a human or is he like on all fours or like imagine putting a cat on top of like a dog. And how okay. awkward it's kind of hanging on, basically. I can do this. <laughs> I'm gonna like do this that. after this podcast. <laughs> There's a list for the magazine that we could do. That's like we could get a screenshot of Yoshi riding a horse and Mario at the Olympic Games and like Red Thirteen riding a chocobo. Like I don't know what that list is called, but like <laughs> rideable just... video game animals riding other rideable video game animals. <laughs> it's weird because nobody rides Red Thirteen. <laughs> But like, yeah, when you yeah. look at him on there, it just looks like he shouldn't be there. Like they just someone like had to awkwardly push him up there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. He's pretty fast on his own, isn't he? He probably doesn't need a chocobo, but I guess he wants, you know, you don't want to feel left out. Yeah. Take a um, but yeah, you, you know, you're riding around your chocobos. You can decorate your chocobos, which is nice. You, there's like a when you set up your chocobo stuff. Chocobo armor. Yeah. You can give them little armor and hats and stuff. I, I mine had a like a little newspaper boy hat oh, <laughs> he weird. was rocking and a little like a uh, sort of like denim armor i guess is the best way i can describe it but he looked like like he looked like he should be passing out some new york times on the in the street corner <laughs> i mean like extra extra chocobo i don't know that's how they talk but <laughs> for those uh gashile greens but the uh the open world stuff uh at least the segment i played it was pretty big it was probably comparable or maybe bigger in size to like final fantasy 16's kind of like open areas i don't know if how i i wasn't clear on like if it's the same sort of approach across the board because they have been touting like oh this is like like i said like there's bigger open world like areas in this game since you're going to be going through between different cities now um but at least that one area it was like it was like very pretty and actually i should probably say that right off the bat is like you know this being a ps5 exclusive uh this game is gorgeous which Mm. the first game was too uh but just the amount of detail and everything like you can see the money basically pouring out of everything like Mm -hmm. i can see dollar bills coming out of the monitor as i was playing it just because of how just like the fidelity of everything and the lighting like and of course all the combat and special attacks you're like yeah this is a 
I, I would love someone to spend this amount of money on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like the open world stuff was fun. There were some uh, challenges out there where um, there was these special like hunts that I, I don't have context for, but there's like, there was like four of them. And when you wander into a certain area, it'll trigger like, hey, there's a creature here. You should kill it. And there's like this voice telling you to gather combat data, kind of like the AI from Exoprimal, where he's like, we really need some valuable data on this like chimera that you're fighting. And it kind of sounded like Yuffie, but it's not because I ran into her later in the demo. Um, so I, I asked them about that and they wouldn't tell me who that character was. So mystery there, but you fight them and then you can just kill them and get the reward, but there's objectives that you can complete of like, oh, if you stagger them or you pressure them or if you beat them within a time limit, like all these fights have time limit, then you'll get more rewards for doing it. Uh, and so you can do those for fun. They were like, they were fine. You know, it's just an excuse to be like, well, I like this battle system, so I'm going to, you know, engage with it and maybe try to hit these objectives and, you know, see what party configuration does that the best. Uh, came across a, a Chocobo farm. A lot of Chocobo in this demo now that I'm <laughs> looking back on it, uh, which was nice. And in terms of the story stuff, uh, I don't, like, again, fans probably having a decent idea of, like, where the Junon stuff is, but uh, speaking to Nomura, because actually he did tell me, because I asked him how, what stretch of the story does Rebirth cover? Because, you know, they were pretty clear from the beginning with Remake that it was just going to be Midgar, but they haven't really said anything about Rebirth. But Nomura did confirm that it's going to run up to the end of the Forgotten Capital, which is also known as the City of the Ancients, which if you play the original, you know that's a very significant area. <laughs> and uh, But he also stressed, and he was trying to be very clear, he's like, you know, Events are not going to unfold the same way or in, in the same order. So, okay. Remake like started going off the rails a little bit, but the implication here is that like this one's really, this is where things split, I guess, in a big way, probably. Yeah. Which you can tell from the trailers just from like the presence of Zach, like how heavily he's featured in there. And you're like, okay, that's, that's weird if you know the events of Crisis Core and Original Seven. So, what's going on there? Um, but yeah, he was saying like, yeah, you know, it's going to end at the Forgotten Capital, but if you think you know what's going to lead up to that, maybe you don't. Maybe stay tuned. I don't know. <laughs> so, like uh, but it was, it, yeah, he did shake his fist at the camera. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's good to know to kind of at least have the sort of stopping point already established. Because uh, yeah. that that's still a lot of game. Um, you know, we saw in the trailer like the Gold Saucer and all the mini games and stuff, uh, which... Uh, they mentioned specifically because I asked them about like, oh, you know, was there anyone in particular they were most excited about? And they brought up the the Rufus Shinra inauguration game. If you guys got to that, have you guys played the original or beaten it? I know Kyle, you've started it. Yeah, I've never beaten it, but yeah. Yes. Okay, Wes, do you know what I'm talking about? The, yes. The English, yeah, yeah. The okay, the parade thing. Uh, they talked about how they reworked that and how now you're gonna have to, as Cloud, go around and choose which like troops join that and depending on who you pick to be in the parade it's going to play out differently but it it sounds like it's going to be a lot more involved in sort of the kind of rhythm music thing that it was in the original game but that sounds fun and i, I one of the things i was happy with with that trailer was how much like how that game continues to preserve the goofy stuff about final fantasy 7 and uh speaking to the team they said that that was really important they're like yeah no we we recognize that that that's a, a lot of the game's charm is just how you know the, those segments that doesn't take everything so seriously and how silly it gets and so they're like yeah we were really excited and 
you know, to go back and, and revisit some of those uh, weird <laughs> little mini games that we had. But yeah, other than that, like it wasn't like a, I mean, it, I played about an hour of the game total between the two demos. Like the, the Mountain Idol demo was pretty short um, with cutscenes. Like, you know, it ended with a big boss fight that I uh, took down with Cloud and Sephiroth. Uh, that was pretty fun. And then the open world stuff, it just sort of ended with me going into Junon and doing another boss fight where I got to meet up with uh, Yuffie and, you know, interact with some of the residents. So it's kind of hard to say, like, how it all flows together because it was just two slices. But like I said, it, it's it's fun. It, it is more Final Fantasy VII Remake with some new wrinkles with the synergy attacks. And um, God, I'm trying to make sure I'm not forgetting another sort of attack things. You still had your limit breaks and all the individual character special attacks. There was a lot to juggle just between all the different special attacks and trying to figure out like, okay, what's the hierarchy? Like which ones, like your limit breaks are your big ones, but are the synergy attacks better? Should I use my gauge for that? And then I have like each character's own attacks, but they're all fun to play. I'd forgotten how much fun Tifa is when I switched to her and you're like, oh yeah, you're just like wailing on foods with her punch combos. I forgot she was like <laughs> my favorite character outside of Cloud in the original game. So she's the yeah she's still a lot of fun red 13 uh i should mention is a blast because this is the first game that he's playable in because he was kind of just there in the first game but he's got his like claw attacks and he has this like uh this special like vengeance mode that he can go into where he pretty much just becomes like basically better for a period of time yeah i had a lot of fun with it i, I it's shaping up pretty well and i'm very excited to see how the narrative plays out like as i imagine everyone is see what changes and what stays the same yeah Cool. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited for, for all you Final Fantasy sickos out there. Did you uh, play Remake? I did. I did. I, I'm just not a Final Fantasy person. I didn't beat it or anything, but oh, gotcha. I played probably 10 hours um, and then kind of got to a lull in the in the story. And it was like, you should go do some side quests and, and go check this stuff out. Is in the between kids. like big beats, you know? Yeah. Yep. The answer yeah. to that is no just do the just do the story <laughs> yeah and i i just fell off and i was like i like i like it i respect it uh it's just i'm not i'm i don't have that fanfare for the series like some people do uh but but totally excited to to see how they're kind of getting weird with those those remakes oh one last thing i will mention is i asked them why the game was two disc and what that actually meant and they did confirm that it's like two gameplay discs. So the game is apparently 150 gigs total. So it's huge. And they knew that from the start because they wanted it to be this big, massive thing. And they, apparently they decided early on that it would necessitate two discs because they were like, oh, yeah, if we if we tried to put this on one disc, we would have to cut stuff. And we didn't want to do that. So we're like, oh, I guess two discs is the answer. But if you buy it physically, you will not be switching discs just because of how the PS5 like installing games works. It's basically you're going to install both discs from the beginning and then after that because you know you'll install the full game but then after that you just need to use one of them which will sort of be like the main disc so okay. there won't be a like you know now switch to disc two yeah i mean that's how i think remake was two discs wasn't it on i think it was a download was it disc X- like yeah. you have to put one in yeah, to get data from it and then you don't need to worry about it yeah that's how red dead 2 works as yeah. well uh, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's not like this one. It was like there are two, com- like gameplay discs, but one is mm. also sort of an installing disc, as opposed to just one being installed and one being the game. So, but yeah, total size is like 150 gigs. So, 
watch out. <laughs> Prepare your hard drives now. Delete some Call yeah. of Duties. Definitely. I think just one Call of Duty actually yeah. will do the trick. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> one, one, one mode on a Call of Duty. <laughs> um, well, um, I want to come back to you, Marcus, in a second to talk about Spider-Man Two, but um wes you have been playing and reviewing cyberpunk 2077 phantom liberty for game informer uh this new dlc is of course launching alongside the 2.0 update for the game that brings a ton of changes um and it, it really feels like it's finally cyberpunk's uh time to shine question mark Yes. Because I don't know how the game is. You got to tell me. Yeah. The <laughs> short uh, answer to your question is yes, it is. Um, I played Cyberpunk 2077 at launch and I was lucky enough to have secured a new gen console at the time. So I actually had a really good time with the game. I thought it was a great RPG and I put 100 hours into it and I really enjoyed it. Um, obviously, a lot of its problems happened around launch because they promised a bunch of stuff and the PS4 and Xbox One versions were basically unplayable so unplayable that playstation took it off their storefront um and since then they've kind of been on a path towards getting back the trust of players and they've released a a good bit of updates to improve the game to add content to the game they had a big edge runners update to add stuff from that anime that's very good on netflix that everybody should watch um and now 2.0 is out by the time you're listening to this which is kind of the culmination of all these massive updates this is a big rework of the game revamps perks and skill trees and cyberware and blah 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 if you haven't checked in on cyberpunk in a while 2.0 feels very different and the game the game's mechanics will feel almost new to you um compared to the original and then phantom liberty launches next week on the 26th and it is a basically a story expansion like kind of just like a classic cdpr expansion where um 2.0 is adding the mechanics and all the fancy new stuff phantom liberty is a really great story expansion and there's some new stuff new weapons new uh cars and things like that but for the most part it feels like more cyberpunk 2077 which is a lot better now because of 2.0 um so reviewing it was interesting because i was trying to like piece together what 2.0 did for my enjoyment of the game what phantom liberty did for my enjoyment of the game and then how those two mesh together since when people play phantom liberty they are playing cyberpunk 2077 2.0 but long story short, Phantom Liberty is a lot of fun. I gave it a 8.5. You can read my review on GameInformer.com. Um, I don't think it's like necessarily better than the rest of Cyberpunk 2077's narrative, but it slots in really nicely. And you can play it at pretty much any point in the game. Um, you don't have to advance too far into a new save to get to it. If you're at the very end of the game, I started my Phantom Liberty run on a save that happened right before the final mission of the base game. And I did all of Phantom Liberty and it was fine. It didn't feel out of place or anything. Um, How do you access it? Cause I always feel like DLC can be tricky about like, is there a person you have to talk to or do you get a call that says, you, Hey, yeah, you Phantom get a call Liberty here. You basically, <laughs> uh, I believe, I, I mean, it's Kyle, you played it, right? It's a call, right? Yeah. Well, cause th- this is actually a good question because the way I did it, Marcus is I accidentally, I don't know, accidentally, I downloaded 2.0 because we got like early access and I thought I had downloaded Phantom Liberty but had not. So I booted up the game and I was like, oh, I can do all my, I can re-spec everything. I got to go to a Ripper doc to see all this. So it's like, okay, this all feels new. And I'm like driving around. I'm like, how come I haven't gotten a call to go to Dogtown yet? Like what, where, and I was getting that annoyed thing where I was like, 
Ugh, DLC is hard to access. But then I realized I hadn't downloaded Phantom Liberty yet. So I closed the game, downloaded it, and re-uploaded it. And literally, like, I took one step, and this woman called Songbird calls you. And she's like, you know, all Metal Gear Solid about it. She's like, you got to <laughs> save the President of the United States. <laughs> and I'm like, Come to uh, okay, what's your address? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'll get over there. As as I can. <laughs> but it, it finds you very easily. This isn't like, mm-hmm. you know, okay. download the DLC, then drive to this obscure place and find this. It's like, no, they're going to call you and be like, come find us. And they'll do it pretty it'll get added to your list of missions pretty easily okay yeah and then it takes you to dogtown which technically was always on the map of night city but it was not accessible and and when you get when you play the game you realize because dogtown is like an independently controlled district within night city it basically has like a militaristic dictator who used to work for the new united states of america government Um, and you even have to like, there's one entry and exit out of the city and you go in and they like scan your car or your vehicle and give you like the approval to go in and out. So it's very clearly like, this is how we added Dogtown to Night City. Um, but it's a really, really cool district. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's like a lot of, it's like slums mixed with, uh, contrasted with like Las Vegas-esque cheap luxury. Like there's casinos that are run down and stuff. But like the richest of the rich still, you can go to like floor 90 of this casino and it's this awesome, super fancy gold-plated place to hang out with all these rich people. But then like on the ground, it's it's pretty dire for a lot of people um, and it's not like a safe place to be. Uh, there's like a private military roaming around and people aren't happy, blah, blah, blah. Um, I really like the district of Dogtown. Um, but yeah, the story is, it's good. Like it's great. It's, uh, it's as exactly what they said it was, which is a spy thriller. And the characters are fun. Idris Elba is great. I think he's better. I think he's a better actor in cyberpunk than Keanu Reeves. I'm not saying Keanu Reeves is Johnny Silverhand is bad, but like I Solomon Reed is easier to take a little more seriously because you can tell Idris Elba approached this role a little more seriously, but I like them both. And it's fun to see they do a good job of grabbing an actor who can actually translate well into video games. Unlike say Megan Fox in Mortal Kombat one. Um, Oh boy. Which (laughs) I just a a random example. (laughs) 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 But yeah, it's, it's another good story in night city. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be this like mind blowing experience. And it, and it really wasn't, it was, this is a fun 20 hour arc for my V2 experience. And I had a good time. However, it adds a new ending to Cyberpunk 2077 that I think is like phenomenal. I really, really love this really? ending. To get it, I had to, I luckily had multiple saves going in Phantom Liberty because I beat the game the way, I beat Phantom Liberty the way I wanted to with my V and how I was role-playing her, which is basically just Lucy from Cyberpunk Edge Runners um, with the David jacket that you gotta <laughs> go secure in Night City. Um, and I was like, okay, that was fun. I, that ending was cool. And then the game's just kind of like, all right, time to get back to to murking it up and continuing with your story. And it kind of just felt like, oh, it's just a a mission that was over. So I went back to a save and I chose some other decisions. And it's clear that like that's what they want you to do, which I didn't personally like story-wise. But I did that and I got a few more missions that kind of add an entire new ending to Cyberpunk 2077 that caught me by surprise. It's very unlike the other endings and it's very reflective, almost like CDPR looking back on this journey as a whole. And it it's a really very it's it's a really cool ending for people who like 
the genre of cyberpunk. It's very different from the other endings. And it's like heartfelt and heartbreaking and it's long and drawn out and um, very memorable. Very, very, very stoked about that ending. That ending like gave Phantom Liberty like an extra little bump for me because I was just very blown away by it. I didn't expect it at all and it caught me by surprise. Um, So definitely like do some save scumming in Phantom Liberty when it feels like you need to do some save scumming because you'll want to go back and change choices. And and to be clear, like asking uh, for myself, like I should beat Phantom Liberty before I go pursue this new ending is what you're saying? I you have, have to be, you have to be Phantom Liberty okay. before you, you, you'll roll credits on Phantom Liberty before you can even access this new ending. And it all happens. The new ending comes okay. quick. Um, but cool. no, that's exciting. I, I remember the ending of Cyberpunk 27 being interesting, but not like super impactful or memorable. Um, yeah. Well, cause it's kind of just honestly, like, like, I don't really remember what happened, which it does not speak yeah. highly of it. So you can go a few routes, but it always kind of ends with like, ah, oh, you're a legend. You, you, wow, you're so cool. You're a cool Merc. This one's very, very different. Um, for anyone playing Phantom Liberty, when you beat it afterwards, you'll know right away whether or not you're on the path to that new ending. If it feels like, like if you don't get another mission after rolling credits, you need to go back and pick some different choices and it'll be very clear which choices to make um, in order to get the, the new ending. But it's, it is worth getting this new ending. It's very easy to get. I, I, I'm just talking vaguely because I don't want to spoil anything, but like it kind of is like a binary choice and one gets you the new ending, one does not. Um, it asks so just, you, do you want a better ending? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just do some saves, Govin, and it's great. How are you enjoying this game on a scale of one to 10? And then we'll tell you yeah, which, yeah. which ending you should pick. <laughs> Um, survey. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's more cyberpunk if you haven't played cyberpunk because of all the drama and, and disaster at launch i think you should definitely jump in and give it a try this this is the the game they intended to launch uh three years ago and uh, as someone who already liked cyberpunk phantom liberty adds more cyberpunk and i thoroughly enjoyed it it's well worth playing it is my next game after i finish Baldur's gate and zelda <laughs> your 2025 game <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm close on Baldur's Gate. I'm close on Zelda, and then after that, I'm going to start up Phantom Lib. I'm going to start. Actually, I'm going to start from the beginning because I had I think like eight hours on Steam, uh, and I really liked what I played in 2020. But I was just like, I'm going to come back when this is in a better state. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, Alex. On that note, I'm I might have a I'm, I might have an opinion feature esque piece up on the site by the time you're listening to this, but in case I don't. I do think if it's possible and if you have the time, it's worth it to start a new save for Cyberpunk to experience 2.0 and Phantom Liberty. Uh, Kyle and I are working on a, a piece that's like, here's all the things you need to remember because when you jump into Phantom Liberty, they assume that you've just been playing this game nonstop and there's a big learning yeah. curve. Yeah, simple one that for me that Wes never talked about. I was like, just remembering how to put your weapon away is like crucial. Like yeah. it, when I, I played the game in preview, and didn't remember how to put my weapon away. It caused a lot of problems, and I killed a lot of characters <laughs> that I did not need to kill. <laughs> so, like things like that, you know. Yeah. So yeah, start a new. If you start over, you're going to be introduced to all the 2.0 stuff at a casual pace, like the game's intended to. Phantom Liberty will probably slot in a little easier. Like for me, I was at the very end of the game, so it is kind of funny to be ramping up towards the ending. And then I'm like, well, actually, let me go to Dogtown for 20 hours and, and see what's going on there. Yeah, if you have the time, 
I would recommend a fresh save. But if you don't, Phantom Liberty still works as intended. Nice. Awesome. Well, Marcus, uh, take us home. Let's talk about some Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Um, you went hands-on. We've got a new gameplay today episode up if people want to see it in action. Uh, but yeah, tell, tell us all about it. Yeah. Uh, again, I got to play about 90 minutes of it. You can watch our uh, NGT up on our YouTube channel. But uh, I played a, it. Started, it uh, the demo was set like a few hours into the game. I, uh, Peter had the black suit already and his uh, Iron Spider arms. And Miles is a... Uh, well, I guess he's just Miles, but um, he's uh, he's there too. And yeah, that game is <laughs> Spider Man's got his his black spider, and yeah, Miles is there. He's he's keeping up. He's doing stuff. We're proud of him. He's got a new hair. Hey, a new hairstyle looks looks pretty good on him. You know, um, but I mean, you know, his his special thing is his Venom attacks, which he had in the in the last game. He's got some new ones, but you know, it, that's his thing. Um, but yeah, that game is fun as hell as someone that enjoyed those first two games and is also just a, a big Spider-Man fan in general, uh, I did not want to stop playing this game because everything just feels like a either improved or like tightened up version of what they had done with the previous game. Uh, the combat still feels good, but feels a little tightened up where it's like, it's still that acrobatic dance of jumping around and dodging and doing these cool finishing moves, but it feels a little less... I guess flaily is probably the best word I could describe. And a lot of that is because you have a new parry now where yeah. like in other video games, if you, uh, if you time an attack to where like, Oh, just before it lands, you hit like the right shoulder button. Uh, you'll do a parry move. So like in Peter's case, the symbiote will kind of form a shield and then just kind of explode. And then it'll knock enemies back. And uh, if you do it for the special attacks that where the enemy will kind of glow yellow and then red back before you hit, that's sort of your cue of like, you should parry these of like, you can parry anything technically, but if you parry these attacks, they'll, they'll be knocked in their butt pretty good. And you can get in there and get some licks. So maybe, maybe don't dodge these if you can. Uh, I think it, it, it took some getting used to because those games are so dodge focused where you're just kind of trained to just spam hitting circle repeatedly just to not get hit by, you know, distant enemies or anything that might be hitting. So you're like, well, why wouldn't I if I can just do that? <laughs> but so are we? Are we talking Arkham level of counter here, which is like the? Com I mean, Arkham's combat is like all counters. But well, it's I mean, not that's, quite there. Well, I mean, Spider Man, like the first two games were pretty, pretty much the Arkham combat for They're the most close, part. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but like, like you said, but without parries, really, which is a core idea of Arkham. I feel like. Well, did Arkham? It wasn't so much parrying. It was more like doing a backflip. It was kind of like. Uh, like a counter i know yeah, that sounds okay. the same so but like right. you weren't like knocking them back or stunning them it was just like oh i blocked your punch and then he punches them it was kind of like a chain thing whereas this is closer to like you know i, I know souls is the cliche descriptor but it's closer to that kind of thing okay. of like okay. oh boom and they're like oh i'm stunned and then you can get in there and just you know go to town on them so like that's probably a closer analog and it makes the fights especially like the boss fight that i did with the lizard feel a little bit more intimate and more strategic because you're like okay i'm gonna wait for him to hit me instead of instinctively dodging everything so i can maybe you know it's that risk versus reward of like i'm putting myself in a line of danger to dish out more danger or damage i should say mm -hmm. and it feels good like it feels like a natural fit to the existing arsenal uh i mean the biggest like like the biggest takeaway or the most fun thing is like the wingsuit the web wings 
Like web swinging. Yeah, those look so fun. It's so fun. Like web swinging has always been the best part of those games. Like just getting around in general. Like I, I probably, I might wager that I don't think there's any game where it's as fun to get around a big sandbox than the Spider-Man games, honestly. And I think this kind of like puts a bullet in that because, you know, being able to switch to flying or, I mean, technically gliding, but it feels like you're flying for how far you can go if you really like do it well. Uh, it, it just feels like a natural fit that manages to not overshadow web swinging. Like it doesn't nullify it to where like, oh, I'll just glide everywhere. Why would I ever swing? Because, you know, it's not indefinite and it does require some skill to remain airborne long enough to where you can kind of go a good while. Like you're kind of, it's kind of got like flight controls a little bit where like you're dipping down in the stick to go up. And, you know, if you dive down and come up again, you'll get the momentum from going down to like shoot back up. And there's like wind tunnels in certain parts of the city that you can aim for to kind of like shoot yourself across like a gap or whatever. But it eliminates the the one problem with web swinging where, you know, when you break momentum or you hit the ground, it sucks so bad. Like you just feel like all the wind is out of your sails and you feel like a bad Spider-Man for, <laughs> for hitting the ground. And this gets rid of that because it's great for getting over areas either that have low buildings or no buildings like Central Park or like Queens, which is one of the new boroughs. And so you're like, oh yeah, like I'm going to swing here. Then, oh, this little patch of like tiny buildings. I'm just going to glide right over that and then get back to an area with tall buildings and keep going. And on top of that, like even hitting the water is better because, uh, you know, since there's the Hudson River now dividing uh, like Manhattan from Brooklyn and Queens, uh, you know, you're going to be going across the, the river a lot. So when you hit the water now, the Spider-Man will like ski on top of it for a second and it kind of gives you a window to, you know, shoot a web and recover. So if you find yourself like screwing up of like, oh, I'm going to hit this water and it boo, it's like, no, he'll he'll land on it and do like a little ski thing. You're like, OK, I'm going to launch off of that and keep gliding or swinging. So, again, this game does a better job about preserving the flow of movement. So you're just like making less mistakes all the time. How does that work in the new um, Queens and Brooklyn? Uh, like. Uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, one of my favorite scenes is when he's like trying to to get away and he's like in the suburbs and he's just like, oh, I can't. So he just runs. How do it, I imagine there's not big buildings to to swing to in Brooklyn and Queens. Like, how do they uh, tackle that? Yeah, I didn't spend a probably very little time in Brooklyn and Queens. There was one segment in the Hudson that kind of took me there. So I can't say for sure. But like, you know, Manhattan has plenty of like stretches of like, OK, there's not really a lot of big buildings here. And it's kind of the same way of like either you do like that zip line thing where it's like, okay, there's a lamppost. I'm going to zip launch off of that and then get airborne to where you can kind of get going. You can still do that. Uh, The Hudson also has a bunch of boats everywhere. So even if you don't hit the water, you can zip to a boat and do the same thing. So like, there's just like more perches. It feels like everywhere to be like, okay, you have a launching point somewhere, you know, it just depends on what you want to do. But regardless of how you launch, you can launch into a glide or you can launch into a swing, but either way works. So I, I would imagine that's pretty much what they got going. But in turn, uh, it's got the, uh, like the open world stuff is, from what I saw, like similar, like there's still the random crimes. I did a few of them and they were fine. I, I, I don't know how much variety there is. I know that was like a big criticism of at least the first game is that they all kind of find it same after a while. So I, I don't know how they've addressed that. But like, the two or three that I did were like enjoyable. Uh, the there, like they mentioned before, you could switch between either Spider-Man anytime you want outside of like mandatory story moments, and it does the sort of like GTA Five style, like 
camera pans over to wherever the other spider is hanging out and you might see them doing something kind of funny like peter doing sit-ups on the side of the building and he's like oh my turn i'm gonna go uh so i like that it kind of reminds me actually of like the the stuff you would see when you would fast travel in those games when they're on the subway doing random stuff it's a little bit like that (laughs) um for people that actually fast traveled in those games (laughs) did you um, see them um i think it was uh gamer tag radio that was talking to them and they said that Sometimes if you're like if you're swinging around as miles, you might see Peter over there swing by or do anything like that. Did you happen to see any anything like that happen? Oh, interesting. No, I did not see that. I didn't hear about that, but that's cool if that's true. But yeah, I they were far enough apart from where every time I played, right? Yeah, I didn't see the other one. But if that's true, that's neat. <laughs> uh but yeah, it's uh it's cool so far. I, I won't touch on like too much of the story stuff that I saw because I did watch quite a few cutscenes. i i did play the the lizard chase sequence that we all saw in that yeah. demo uh that thing's a blast i mean it was you know <laughs> it was fun to watch but to actually play it and you know yes it's a lot of like it's mostly quick time events and like swinging in between but man it just nails that spectacle of like that just the fun of the chase and just dodging things on time and just being like man this is just this is just fun <laughs> like, i don't care if it's like more or less a glorified cutscene. I'm having fun doing this. So turns out all quick time events needed were just way more animations <laughs> to make them cool. There's a lot of animation in this game and it all looks uh superb. But yeah, I'm a uh, I mean I've always been excited for Spider-Man 2 again, just as a fan, but even more so now, just I want to get back in there and just fly around and do cool stuff, which is the one thing those games succeed at, right? If like you feel like Spider-Man and you feel like everything you do is like the coolest thing a person could do. Awesome. Um, well, I was going to kind of wind the show down there. I know I would, I do want to touch on unity, but um, I actually might want to save that till next week because um, we're waiting to hear an official response from unity on yeah. regarding some of the I mean, rollbacks we can touch they're working on, on. The last thing they said, we'll touch on it here is uh, this was uh, September 17th. We've heard you. We apologize for the confusion and angst. Runtime fee policy went out on Tuesday as cause. We're listening, talking to our team members, community, customers, and partners, and we'll be making changes to the policy. We will share an update in a couple of days. Thank you for your honest and critical feedback, uh, which, you know, we'll see yeah. is kind of my. There was a Bloomberg report right? this morning. A Bloomberg report was saying like they are maybe talking about. Um, actually, I don't, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me. My understanding was maybe the wording I saw was potentially pointing to doing a rather than an install fee, like a fixed 4% cap on costs. Um, the unity stuff uh, effectively the TLDR unity announced a, a new runtime fee, which if you don't know what unity is, it's a game engine. It is the primary competitor of unreal engine. Um, I would say probably at least 50% of your i think actually they did a study recently and unity uh had like a 80 something percent market share whereas um unreal had like 18 percent and there's many many devs and the allure of both these engines are they're free uh, free to start at least and like as you as your game finds success there are built-in uh ways for them to make their money back right but typically unless you hit that threshold uh, there is there is no associated fees. And so Unity introduced a runtime fee, which when you download a Unity game, you download the game with the Unity engine. You also download 
the Unity runtime utility, um, and that costs them money, I guess, um, to run when people download their games. And so they're talking about introducing a fee every time somebody installs a game. And that kind of, there's a lot of misinformation, not misinformation, miscommunication on their end, allegedly, where they're like, oh, no, we didn't mean every install. It's just like one. We just said every install. install. We didn't mean every install. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do, oh, it's just like one install fee per device. But a lot of games are thinking like, okay, well, what if I get on Game Pass and suddenly I'm charged for every single install of my game? That could bankrupt me. Yeah, or um, like the 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 horrible dark like possibility of doing install bombing. Yeah, of yeah. like like review. Oh, I don't like this game because of a dumb reason. I'm gonna repeatedly uninstall and reinstall it to jack up the studio's fee. Take that. Yeah, and ultimately, what it boiled down to was uh, Unity not really honoring their terms of service they've had for years, and like retroactively applying this new fee to uh, games I've already released, like as of January first, twenty twenty four this runtime fee was going to uh, be applicable to all games, not just new games. And so you've got developers who, you know, maybe they're only selling their game for $2 and the Unity install fee for them is 20 cents. Like, and let's say that person has a PC, um, a Steam Deck. There was also a question, what happens if they uninstall it and reinstall it at a later date? You can see how like it quickly just everything's lit on fire uh and there's a lot of distrust um and and yeah so there is a huge uproar you've got games like cult of the lamb uh threatening to take the game down like like taking the game off like not selling it anymore you've got among us out there um inner sloth um talking about stuff agro i know agro crab the people who are making another crab's treasure did you see uh jeff Keeley chimed in too? no i didn't what he say he chimed in on the thread where they basically said we're sorry we're gonna look into this and it wasn't in a lot but he just sort of said show us the changes that's a but bold statement a from look. you know jeff vanilla man keely you know yeah he was like the yeah, second yeah. comment is like show us the changes and i was like well yeah jeff weighing in all right you heard that jeff <laughs> yeah listen to jeff so there's been a lot of there's been a lot of talk in in you know the game dev circles about switching to godot which is a engine that um a lot of people use for 2d and 3d yeah, which i had never uh, heard of prior to this discourse yeah it's called yeah, it's godot sometimes too it's yeah like yeah to pronounce it yeah. it's um it's it's an open source game dev or game engine uh and then a lot of people are like hey maybe i'm gonna check out unreal uh the problem with unreal is like unity the reason why people love unity is because um the engine itself is it makes it number one the constraints of the engine make it easier to like if your game runs well in unity and you're using like the stock tool set like you aren't having like custom engines on top and stuff like your thing is going to run well on switch it's going to run well on ps4 on xbox if it's running well in the engine and all that and of course each platform has different optimizations but people are like oh well i really want to use unreal because it's got these new um the nanite uh lighting system or no, Lumens is the lighting system. It's like really cool lighting. Um, it's got Nanite, which is um, effectively instead of having to render out different um, versions of each individual game asset, they're called LODs. It's like the level of detail in your model. So everybody always starts from a high poly and then 
you have to like bake in bake on your meshes and like essentially make it a do a lot of tricks to make it look the same but have way less geometry on it so it uses less engine like uses less processing power unreal engine has this cool tool where essentially you just put in the high poly model and it does all of that automatically and it saves you a ton of time the problem is that it's harder to make it work on things like switch so there's like a lot of talk about engines this week and bottom line is unity lost a lot of trust uh in and uh they're gonna have to gain it back i personally have been working on a game in unity just small little prototypes here and there i predominantly luckily have been focusing more on like my art because i knew that like uh, i'm my best strength is like art and so i've just been focusing on that and like okay i've got like this library of assets i can use to build my game out and i've had like little prototypes here and there in unity but now Personally, I've I downloaded Unreal Engine the other night. I started poking around and I'm it's just like a weird time because it's like, man, all the time I've bought courses on Unity, I've spent time learning uh how to script in C sharp, and I feel like I I have a fairly uh fairly solid understanding of like the Unity engine in terms of like where things are, that kind of thing. And now personally I'm like okay, even if they do roll it back, what's to stop them from doing it again? And granted, a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, like the runtime fee in particular, you had to sell 200,000 copies or $200,000 in revenue and also hit like a $200,000 download threshold, which like a lot of people are, I'm probably not going to hit that on my first game I put out, right? But it's more so just like the question of, okay, well, if my game is out for 10 years and maybe eventually I do hit that that threshold and I'm not like actively making games anymore, uh, am I forced to like take my game down or do I need to start paying this install fee on a game that maybe I'm not really equipped to, to sell anymore? It, it's just like all messy and there was like so many what ifs and like people need to have concrete data to, you know, uh, forecast their their financials and like run a run a company and the unity nonsense has just been uh just completely messy and foggy and not clear and there's a lot of a lot of people's whose livelihoods at stake like i I just do it for a hobby right there's like so many game studios who like they are like they have built their company to work around unity um and it's just a massive pain in the ass whatever happens yeah but but yeah that's the unity stuff i guess we did end up talking about it a bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um all right take us home marcus last thing before we end today mortal kombat one hey the hot slow down the hot new release this week probably is yeah it's the biggest yeah. release of the week actually uh i think so yeah so i'll preface this by saying i've only played the story campaign as of recording i've not finished it yet but i'm pretty I'm in it. Like I'm knee deep in it. Uh, it's a damn good Mortal Kombat game, guys. It's yeah. It's really fun. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has started it yet, but the I will say right off the bat, as the more I play, I think more and more that this might be the best looking fighting game I have ever seen. Like it looks absolutely amazing, and not even just as a fighting game. I think it might be one of the best looking games of the year. Like the attention to detail and the characters and especially the stages which 
in you know kyle you can attest to this because we're playing mortal kombat 9 right now for a super replay but like the, the stages since they have kicked off this sort of like a current era of the series with mk9 have always looked fantastic like with just so much detail and stuff happening in the back but this one especially it's just like there's so many layers and you're just like you almost catch yourself kind of just wanting to stare like what's going on back there <laughs> you end up getting punched in the face um but it like everything i've seen it, it is just like it is an immaculate looking game from like the animations and just how creative the attacks and and the like fatal blows and the fatalities of course look like it's like yeah this is the best looking game they've ever made and i i think it's in the running for like best looking game of the year so far um the story so far has been really enjoyable um you know for those who don't know this is a another soft reboot for the franchise much like mk9 was where you know fire god Liu king has reset the universe in his own image and so like you can start with this one, but it does directly follow the events of Eleven. Like the opening cutscene that plays when you start the game straight up has Liu Kang being like, "Yeah, I uh, I became a time god and I erased the old timeline, and this is what I did for this new one, and everything's gonna work out this time for sure. Everything's great." Um, and then it turns out things aren't so great. And I will say, I, I am one of my biggest sort of like potential plot holes with this premise was like just seeing more character reveals of like okay this is a new universe made by the biggest like like kind of the series good guy and so like and it, with the goal of achieving peace so like why is there even a mortal Kombat tournament when you just get rid of all that <laughs> and like why is shang sung and and these guys all these people that give him such a headache still here and I'm happy so far that the story directly addresses that and sort of explains that, like, without spoiling, like, basically, despite his best efforts, things are sort of going the way that they maybe not necessarily did before, but kind of yes, of like, oh, I made all these big changes, but there are forces conspiring to try to get back to where we were. And what that what's up with that? And that's a pretty fascinating hook, because, again, he's like, how he's like, how is this even possible? I like. <laughs> i did everything from scratch I, how is this happening uh so I, i'm glad they're addressing that it's still kind of weird and a little bit of a bummer that none of the characters are brand new uh there but they did bring back some like some pretty obscure like characters especially from like the 2000s era of like deadly alliance deception armageddon with like ashra and uh nitara voiced by megan fox everyone's favorite actress um and I will say, like, I, I've liked what they've done with them. Like, Ashra in particular is one character where in Deception, I was like, oh, she's fine. But, like, I used her a bit, but, you know, just didn't stick. I think she's, like, maybe one of my favorite characters in this game now. Just between her design and her her combat, like, her moveset is so much fun. And the story campaign, I think, again, I don't know how it ends. So I can't say it's the best campaign from, like, a writing standpoint. But in terms of a presentation standpoint, I think it's, like, easily the best they've done like they you can see all the lessons they've learned since mk9 where like the cinematography and the fight choreography is so it is just so like top notch to where like you could argue that all of those story modes since mk9 are probably the best mortal Kombat movies ever <laughs> it's just in, on their own and i i think more and more this feels like in a, a really good mortal Kombat movie that you happen to be playing because one the cutscenes can be pretty lengthy so you are going to be sitting back just watching for a while. But then, you know, and you've commented about this, Kyle, when do a replay, like, again, that seamless transition to like, oh, we're in a fight now. And then we're out of a fight. And we're going back to cinematic. Like, it's still like super impressive. And they've also done a good job of sort of um, 
from like a writing standpoint, justifying why you're in a fight. Like one of the sillier things, especially in MK9, which was the first one they did this, where it was like, I don't know, a character walks up and you're just fighting, basically. <laughs> you're like, why are we in a fight? Like there was that moment in the replay where Jade, like we're in an area that we shouldn't be in and we're not there for any particular reason. And then Jade walks up, is like, hey, this is a restricted area. And she very politely says it. And Jax is like, we're fighting. And, <laughs> yeah, like, right. and they're like, you could have just been like, oh, my bad, we'll leave. But it's like, well, this had there has to be a fight now. Uh, there's a lot less of that I'm finding in this where it's like all the fights build naturally to where like, oh, okay, there's there's a lot of meaning behind this blood battle that we're in. Uh, also, just the combat itself, like the feel of the combat feels good. Like something, I don't, it's, I'm trying to like still articulate it, but something about just the act of even like just throwing a punch or a kick, there's like a an impactfulness to this one that I don't know if like even 11 had where it just feels good to even do like a basic uppercut where you're just like, there's like a, a crunchiness or like a, <laughs> a weight behind the attacks. You're like, Oh man, doing even basic combos just feels really satisfying. And yeah. And in terms of the cameo stuff, uh, I'm still getting used to it. I'm, I have to sometimes remind myself that it's an option of like, Oh, I got like a buddy here. I could summon. And granted, like I said, I've only played the campaign. So like, you know, I'm not choosing the, cameo fighter sometimes you have one sometimes you don't just based on what's happening in the story so you don't even notice until you look and you go oh okay johnny cage is here i guess i'll have him do like a shadow kick um but so i'm still like sort of in my infancy of trying to take full advantage of that but i've had moments of like i'll test out an attack and you're like oh okay that launches them up i bet if i did this attack i could chain that and you know do some cool stuff and i've slowly been getting a hang of that but so far they've like they felt sort of like negligible but again it's like i haven't i think it's going to matter more when i start playing other people because everyone will be using it and getting good with it so i'll be forced to get good with it but in the campaign it doesn't matter as much even when you're fighting like two on one against someone it's like ah, i could probably beat them on my own uh but yeah uh so far thumbs up as a huge mk fan like i'm having a hell of a time with it like that's that story mode in particular, again, like they they're the best in the business when it comes to that with fighting games. And I'm just smiling ear to ears, just seeing these new versions of like old characters and kind of seeing the changes. And like, okay, this guy that was a bad guy is a good guy now. Sub Zero and Scorpion are brothers. That's weird. What's how where's that gonna go? And it, it's fun. I'm it's like it's like a good reason to fall in love with that fiction all over again. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, I guess we're at the end of the show. Uh, hey, Alex, um, I mean, can I throw in one thing real quick? Just uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, while we were recording, Phil Spencer said something about the league. Uh, oh. It's pretty, it, it, you know, it's a platitude, but it's at least Phil Spencer tweeted, we've seen the conversation around old emails and documents, which, which is a <laughs> very polite way to say. Like, <laughs> the conversation. We saw the leaks. Uh, it is hard to see our team's work shared in this way because so much has changed and there's so much to be excited about right now and in the future we will share real plans when we are ready. So, no, you don't want to share your real plans. You want to share anything. Yeah. Trying his best to undercut it, you know, almost kind of politely being like, those don't. Those are old plans. We've changed yeah. those. Dishonored polite, three. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's a polite way of saying I am so freaking mad, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The uh, the leaker has been found and has been executed. Oh, no. <laughs> For years to come, now we'll be able to. Whenever Phil 
So it comes up in conversation. We can be like, but his emails. Phil's <laughs> right. emails. You know what would be a good bit? They you... said there was going to be Fallout 3 in 2023. Where is it? Where's my Fallout? You know what would be if I was Phil Spencer? It's like, well, this is already out there. So you may as well have fun with it. I would wear a t-shirt that just has one of his emails printed on it. <laughs> like oh, the next yeah. showcase thing. That would be good. You should do that. It's just the one with the moats. <laughs> it just builds a moat yeah. on stage next time. Moat and then a bloodbath in it. Oh, there we go. There we go. But anyway, I just wanted to share yeah. that before we wrapped up because it's impertinent. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, well, if you enjoyed the show and you want to support us, uh, please go pick up a single issue of the magazine. Uh, they are now available at GameStop.com/slash/GameInformer. Uh, you can get them for five ninety nine plus shipping on the website. If you want physical, uh, it's a great way to get it. You can also uh, find them in stores. Uh, if you find a GameStop near you, you can go. You, I'd call them. Just say, hey, what issues do you have that are physical? And I'm sure they can help you out. Uh, of course, if you just want a digital subscription, get uh, all of our all of our words, our magazine, all of our pretty graphics and layouts sent directly uh, to your your device of your choice every month whenever it's ready or every, every cycle whenever it's ready. Um, you can do that through a digital subscription. Uh, head over to GameInformer.com slash magazine to get started and read the magazine today. Uh, follow these these fellas here on social media. You can follow Kyle at Kyle M. Hilliard on Blue Sky. You can follow, uh, you can also follow Marcus um, at Marcus Stewart 7. Follow Wes at LeBlanc Wes. And you can follow me at It's Van Aiken. Do you want to give a shout out to uh, a recent podcast review? Written by JTWNSC via Apple Podcasts. They said, uh, great video game podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that keeps you updated on the latest news along with some great reviews. Thank you, JT, JTWNSC. Shout out to you. Um, if you would like to leave a review, you can do so on Apple Podcasts. I do keep an eye on them and uh, you know shout them out. Uh, and uh, thanks for rating the show on, on uh, Spotify. It, it really helps us out. Lastly, go listen to All Things Nintendo, our Nintendo podcast that comes out every Friday, hosted by Brian Shea. And go and give um, a listen to Fun Games and the Reignite podcast, which belong to our podcast editor, Matt Storm. Uh, they they uh, edit the podcast every week for us, the audio version, and make it sound great. And uh, we obviously pay them, but, you know. If you want to go and check out some gaming podcasts, uh, it'd be a great way to support them and, and show your appreciation. So, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for the Game Informer show this week. We will see you next Thursday, everybody. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.